Welcome to the Success in South Carolina podcast, where we will be hearing the untold stories of success from some of the top achievers in our home state of South Carolina. These neighbors of ours will also share their time-tested personal philosophies and solutions to inspire us, educate us, and help us find peace, joy, and love, along with a purpose, a mission, and a vision for our lives. And I'm your host, Jonathan Peoples. Our guest today lives in Greenville, South Carolina. She is an award-winning management and leadership consultant, keynote speaker, published author, and executive practitioner for diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts across business, government, nonprofit, and education. Her work has led to her designation by Forbes as a top 10 DNI trailblazer. She is making the world a better place. Welcome to the show, my new friend, Dr. Nika White. Hey! Hey, Jonathan, how are you? <laughs> Doing good, Nika. Wow, I'm so honored to have you on here. I'll tell you what, when I created the podcast, Nika, it was for the purpose of sharing stories of people who've accomplished massive success. And I love the term overcomer because it directly implies you, you've had some obstacles to overcome. That term is one of the words that describes Dr. Nika White. I'm so thrilled, Jonathan. Thank you so much for thinking of me. And I, I look forward to sharing with your, your audience. Well, can you share your story with me about the unique challenges you've had to overcome through this journey? Sure. So I know this is in podcast capacity. And so I am a Black woman and I am from Greenville, South Carolina. And so as a Black woman, those are two intersections that that definitely create systems of oppression. And um, I have experienced them. It's one of the reasons that I gravitated towards the work that I do of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So when you just consider trying to create upward mobility as far as your career trajectory is concerned, Black women often have a challenge in, in corporate America to do that compared to their white male counterparts. And so I certainly had my share of, of challenges where I, I felt like I had to be superhuman in order to just have the same level of forgiveness extended to me or even opportunities extended to me if they weren't already proven in a way that just felt really exhausting and felt really unfair when I considered how maybe white male counterparts were, were receiving opportunities. Outside of that, it is quite well-known, Jonathan, that um, minority businesses, women-owned businesses, they have a harder time competing in the marketplace and really gaining the market share so that they can compete effectively, grow and thrive, scale. And so as a uh, Black woman entrepreneur, I've also experienced some challenges there, you know, just getting into the consideration set and maybe not having immediately within my circle the networks that would give me the resources to be able to understand how to grow and scale a business. So I've had to navigate my own path in many regards to really rely on key trusted resources that I knew were really vested in my interest and in success. And all of that has come with you know, a great level of perseverance, but also a great level of frustration at times. And so part of my showing up to this work is to be able to help leave no one behind. And um, I think that's part of why I'm really motivated and driven to help create um, inclusive, equitable world in whatever spaces that I can. I know some people that have gone through those disadvantages like yourself, Nika, they turn them inward and almost it becomes bitterness inside of them that keeps them in the same place. But you chose to take those disadvantages and almost take them as a challenge and turn them into your mission and your purpose. 
Yeah, so Jonathan, I would say that there's um, two sides of the story. I have grown, I have evolved, I have through experience learned to be able to navigate those disadvantages, but it has not always been that way. And, and so I, I want to bring that to the conversation because not every individual that finds themselves a part of these marginalized identities has the emotional capacity to endure Right. And so I think it's really important for people to realize that therein lies an opportunity. How can we leverage our power and influence and privilege to be able to help someone else along the way? And, you know, part of the work that I do is to help amplify that, that fact, that opportunity, right? You know, we all don't get to where we are on our own is because we have people in our corner supporting us, helping us, paving the way, being those way makers. And you know, while I've certainly had my share of situations where it was harder to take that next step forward, or maybe I took that next step forward only to be met with more resistance, I think that it certainly has grown me to a place where I have deepened empathy and compassion for the work. And it actually fuels me on many days. But yes, I certainly have weathered the storm. Some may say looking outward and looking in, right? But it has not always come with a easy solutions. It's been hard at times. And empathy is a superpower, isn't it? Empathy is an incredibly superpower. And I believe that when we really settle in and think about all of the aspects that we have had to endure over the past, you know, couple of years, including the pandemic, including a lot of the, the social complex issues and all the injustices that continue to find its way into the day to day media, it takes for leaders to be much more thoughtful and intentional about leaning in to the compassion and seeing people for where they are and helping to support them in whatever ways that's going to allow them to show up as their best selves. But how did Dr. Nika learn to overcome those disadvantages? You know, I was really fortunate. You know, sometimes in, in my space of diversity, equity, and inclusion, we talk a lot about um, the importance of acknowledging our sources of power and privilege. And even as a Black woman, I often will stand before, you know, audiences and I'll say I am privileged in many regards because um, I grew up in a home with both parents. I grew up in a home where I had more than enough. All of my needs were met. I grew up in a home where I had parents that were really focused on helping to instill confidence in myself and my sister. And so, you know, a lot of that had to do with just grounding me in the fact that whatever the circumstances may be, I had to first and foremost believe in my worth, believe that I was deserving of opportunities. And with that came a level of confidence that I believe really helped um, spur me along, you know, along the way. I also believe in the importance of community. You know, we are not designed to be a population of people that isolate. We are really designed to thrive in community. And so finding key people to place within my circle that um, are really vested in, in my success and are, are supportive in all types of ways has been tremendous as well. So, you know, having those mastermind groups, having those friends and family that you really can be vulnerable with and know that they aren't judging you in that moment. They really are trying to help you navigate a pathway of, of success. That, that's been also part of my, my, my superpowers in terms of being able to chart this really complex life. <laughs> Yeah, community is super big because as we're rubbing elbows with the rubbing shoulders with these other people, their energy comes off to you, their wisdom comes off to you. But not just that, it's like you said, we weren't meant to live life alone. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. We were meant to be able to provide that level of support. One of my favorite questions to ask someone that I care about is what does support look like for you in this moment? And I find that to be such a powerful question because we often as individuals and we have good intentions, but we will assume that we know what people need in their moment of despair and we will just start to act upon that. And I think that a much more effective approach is to take the time through that build rapport and build relationship to ask that question and allow that person in their moment of vulnerability to give you a very transparent, straightforward answer, and then do your best to be there to try to meet that need. And what support looks like in this moment can be different for what support looks like for that person in a different moment. So we have to continue to surface that question time and time again. Support when you're in the valley is different than support when you're on the peak, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say that probably the growth occurs in a much more intensified way when you are needing that support while you're in the valley because you're vulnerable, you're open. It's humbling to ask for support. It is very much as humbling. And, you know, and I think that also vulnerability is one of those um, leadership superpowers that sometimes we don't just, you know, willingly lean into, but there's so much power behind allowing ourselves to be vulnerable in the presence of others. It gives others permission to know they don't have to have it all figured out and all well put together. And I think that the more we can be vulnerable with each other, the more we can build up a level of trust that allows us to strengthen that community, right? But if we're putting on a facade and masking and covering portions of ourselves and who we are and what we're dealing with, then we aren't being true to our own circumstances, which means how can people support us if we aren't open about what we're dealing with? And so I I love the sense of vulnerability. I think that it breeds a level of authenticity that is really important to the work of creating spaces where people can feel a sense of inclusion and belonging. Wow, you have really pierced my heart because it's that's probably if if John Peoples, Jonathan Peoples has a weakness, it's being vulnerable with people. I want people to see me as put together and I've got, I feel like I've got kind of an ego, which has helped me get in life kind of far because I've got confidence in myself. But during those valleys, it's tough to be vulnerable. It's tough to ask for help. How do you do that? It is. Well, we, we have to be first and foremost willing to quiet our ego because ego will certainly keep us on the sidelines and not in a position of wanting to disclose and share portions of ourselves that in essence could really be valuable to someone else who's going through the same thing. And so, and I think that we have to also realize that what we're going through, we're not alone. Whether or not others are talking about it doesn't mean that it's not existing for others. And so and when we do, when we are able to show up courageous and as our brave selves, it does wonders for others who see those individuals as influencers, as leaders, because then they feel like I can let my guard down too. I don't have to have all the answers. And there's something so powerful about that. I think it allows us to see each other at a level that we we don't normally see each other as when we're just kind of operating on a surface level, right? So that trust gets built. And when that trust is there, that trust provides the safe haven where we really can um, be authentic and be vulnerable, be transparent. And that's important. What do you think it is that keeps most people from realizing their potential? 
Oh, goodness, Jonathan, that's such a good question. I think it has maybe a lot to do with their circumstances, you know, the the surroundings and the environment in which maybe they have most often found themselves. Perhaps they haven't had people that were willing to be um, those brave souls for them and to allow their vulnerability to be on display, right? Um, which means that they just kind of sense maybe this is not within my path of, of being able to realize or actualize what whatever success may look like for me in that moment. I also think that, um, which is the reason I'm in this space, oppression, systems of oppression can keep people from even trying because they perceive that that opportunity doesn't belong to me. That opportunity is not something that is for me or designed for me to thrive. And so part of my work in this space is, you know, again, to help see this thought of we have to have the mentality that we don't want to leave anyone behind. And so particularly when you think about those individuals that are part of historically marginalized populations where they have been left out of the consideration set, that potential begins to wane, right? You know, it's hard for us to see ourselves in a certain role or a certain organization if there aren't others who look like us in those positions, right, that are thriving. And so I think that has a lot to do with why sometimes people don't see their own potential. And I want to change that. Do you think that the traditional media and social media actually hinders our progress? Because it seems like it to me, it seems like it's built around our differences and divides us. Well, I, I will say this. I have seen that scenario play out time and time again. And I have also seen where there are really astute, caring, compassionate, fair journalists who take a different position. So it's just like anything. It's more about the person behind executing the work and what their intentions are, what they are centered on. I, I never like to just generally put a label on a particular industry or population of professionals, right? I do think you see some of the good and the bad. And I do wish that there was more intentionality around amplifying stories that allow people to realize where they're not along and where there is some help and there's some resources that's really trying to provide a sense of overcoming some of these obstacles and challenges that a lot of people have to endure. And you mentioned a minute ago that talking about success, depending on where you are right at that moment in life, what success looks like to you. How, what, how does Dr. Nika White define success right now? Um, it's all about, for me, embracing my next. And my next looks different from week to week, month to month. Right now, my next is to live a life that is steeped in really carrying out what I believe is my mission and the calling on my life. And that is to help impact and influence systems, organizations, leaders, influencers, to think more intently about what can I do within my sphere of influence to help create a greater sense of intentionality around belonging, equity, and inclusion. And what that looks like for each individual and each organization can vary based upon where they are within the broad spectrum of their learning journey or of their DEI work. And so that is the premise of what my consultancy is based on, is, is how can we help get individuals and organizations to their next level of this DEI journey? And why that's important for us is because it is, it is so unassuming you know, I'm not going into this assuming that people have to be at a certain place. I am of the mindset, let's meet you where you are, but then let's make sure that we don't leave you there, right? How can we bring you along and how can we let 
your influence once you have the buy-in, you have the wherewithal to be on this journey and to continue to go deeper, that you can then leverage that um, to bring others along as well. Embracing our next. Yeah. I also want to be a person that is whole. You know, while I am one of those individuals, I believe in a work-life blend. I am fortunate to where I'm in a space and a discipline that I am deeply connected to. So it doesn't feel like work to me necessarily. I'm also a mother of, of two adult children. So parenting adult kids is different from parenting kids that are still in the house. So I, I want to be successful at helping to coach and guide and influence them. I want to be a good wife. I want to be a good friend. I want to be a good community citizen. You know, so for me, success is is very holistic. It's not just about a singular, narrow-minded way of thinking, but it is about how can I become more useful in whatever capacities or whatever roles and titles that I have so that that becomes a part of my legacy. So growing the whole package. If, because if the you, because if you, if you, if you, if you, become great in one aspect, but every other part of your life falls apart. It's not worth it. No, not at all. Not at all. What kind of influence is that really? I think that the reason that people that find themselves being able to effectively influence others, it's not just because singularly they have been perceived as having it all together in that one area. It is about people really want to emulate more of the whole package, not to say that everybody has to live up to the expectations across every dimension of life, right? But are they at least very aware of the need to be whole, right? And not just selling in one specific area. And that's super important because a mission and a vision and a purpose with your life can sometimes be all consuming. Like if you wake up every day and you go to bed thinking of that because you've got purpose in your life, but then having to slow down and realize, hey, listen, that if I let that one area of my life consume all the rest, then it doesn't help me still. Right. And we have seasons, Jonathan. We have seasons. There are certain periods of times to where we may find that more of us is needed in one particular area. I'll give you an example. A few years ago, when my business was really reaching this this growth period, it needed all of me, 100% of me. And while I contemplated for quite some time before I made this decision, I finally decided that I need to resign from some of the boards that I'm serving on right now. While I care about those organizations and their missions, I knew that my business in that season needed all of me. And that in order for me to be able to maintain a sense of self-care, as well as give the priority where it was due, which for me was my business at that time, I needed to separate from some of those boards. And it was a hard decision. I think that we often grapple with decisions like that, but I don't regret it at all. And I remember even sharing that story, you know, through my social media platforms about how, because literally it was like overnight, I had my chief of staff to send out resignation letters to six different organizations that I was serving on the board for. And when I shared that message, I had so many people to comment and to say, I feel so seen. Thank you. You've given me now exactly what I need to take the next step um, of doing the same thing. And so, again, it just goes back to when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and to be transparent and to share, it can create this, this groundswell of others being able to, to see how those decisions can also impact them. You've said so many great things there, especially the we have seasons of life. Because that's one of the reasons empathy is super important. You don't, sometimes you don't know what seasons someone else is going through. Exactly. Right. They may be going through, you're going through your summer season or your spring and you're just, but they're going through their winter. 
And it's the same person. You knew them in their spring. You knew them in their summer, but now they're going through winter, but we need to have empathy for them, realizing they may be going through a different season than me. And the opportunity for us there, Jonathan, is to get to know people. Hmm. It is hard for us to support people in their winter season if we don't know them. We don't know their pain points. We don't know their circumstances, right? I feel like we spend a lot of time just getting to know people on the surface. And granted, it's not it's not even practical for us to go deep with everybody. But for right. those that we really care about, that we really feel that we need to cultivate and build and deepen our relationships with, that looks a certain way. It's not just kind of on the surface, you know, communicating day in and day out, but it's really finding ways to build that rapport, to build that trust, to be vulnerable, to be transparent. And then through that, we're learning. We're learning a lot about people. And it is hard when you're approximate to someone's lived experiences to not let that empathy and compassion show forth, right? Mm. And so, yeah, I, I say often that we spend a lot of time making definitive statements, not enough time asking thoughtful questions. If you really want to deepen relationships with people, we have to get to know them. And one of the best ways is to get proximate to them by asking questions, thoughtful questions, and be willing to share of your own self. Thoughtful questions. I'm, I'm typing this up because you're, you're giving out so many great nuggets here, Dr. Nika, that uh, let me, let me, let me kind of pivot here. What are your personal fundamental secrets of success? And so intentionality is something that I deeply believe in. My first book was um, entitled The Intentional Inclusionist. I think there's so much power behind that word, intentional intentionality, any variation of it. It has a certain look and feel about it. It's very calculated, calibrated. It requires foresight and forethought and being strategic and being committed. You know, we can't be passive about things that we really care deeply about. We have to be all in. And so my, my one area of advice for really being successful at whatever goals or endeavors that we're after is to be very intentional about it. The second thing is, I think it goes back to what I said earlier about community. You know, there's a an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I think that we have to be willing to break down the apprehension of, of trusting people enough to pull them into our inner circle, all for the purpose of being able to contribute to their success and have them contribute to our success. And so Having people that can cheer you on, that can encourage you, that can be a key resource to help open doors. Again, being a way maker, um, I think is critically important. Let's see. And thirdly, I think I would say that we have to really recognize that growth comes in the process. Sometimes we rush trying to get to that end goal that we forget to pause, to take it in, to take those deep breaths, to really assess and reflect what's happening here. What can I learn from it? How am I processing this? And then I think that it causes us to miss some really important lessons in life that I think can help better prepare us for when we do reach that moment of, of success. Because just because you reach it does not mean you can sustain it, mm. right? Right. So part of sustaining that and being able to endure whatever else is a part of that journey of success has a lot to do with critical reflection. What am I, what can I learn at this point in time? What has occurred? How can I pause and just take a moment to just really reflect and to enjoy the process? So intentionality, community and growth comes through the process. Reflection, I guess. 
Yes, critical reflection. Yeah, I'm, I'm big on critical reflection. Anytime that I go in with organizations and I do these learning and development experiences, you know, it's not just about a talking head lecturing, you know, it is about let's frame what we're trying to communicate, but then let's be in community to where we're allowing people to process what they've heard, how they feel about it. You know, what are some of the ways in which they can apply it to their lives? That requires critical reflection. And I think that critical reflection time is so valuable. In your own personal life, does that look like journaling? Does that look like meditation? What does that look like for, for Nika? It looks like just getting off into my own corner without an agenda, without distractions, and just reflecting over whatever period of time. Maybe it's over the week. Maybe it's over, you know, a certain endeavor or project that I just completed. What could I have done differently? What went well? Um, what do I want to make sure that I write down and notate so that if I find myself in a similar situation, I have a reference point? You know, it's also about, um, like, if I'm reading something, taking my own notes, you know, and then going back. And what does this really mean? How do I really feel about this? You know, I even think about um, the book that I just released, which is called Inclusion Uncomplicated, A Transformative Guide to Simplify DEI. At the end of every chapter is a section that deals with critical reflection. And it's because I want the book to be a guide and a tool and a resource, not something that people will read from start to finish and place it on the bookshelf, but something that they have to be transformed by, right, in some capacity or another. And so through those critical reflections, there are a lot of micro learning activities and just questions for people to ponder on their own so that they are really actualizing what they've read and what they've learned and knowing how to apply it. And I think that's what makes this book a tool and not just another, you know, literary piece. It's giving people the application and equipping them to be well positioned to actualize some of what they've learned in the book. So at the end, let's definitely talk about that book because I want to know more about it. Real quick to jump back into your, what I guess are the three keys community. Can we go a deep dive into that, Nika? Because how do, how does someone choose their community in two different scenarios, how does somebody like me, I'm, I'm a, a white male in South Carolina versus someone who isn't born into the same privileges or whatever it may be, maybe they've got different disadvantages. How can they get the community that will help them move forward? Yeah, Jonathan, I am really big on cultural humility and cultural intelligence. You know, sometimes it's referred to as cultural competence. I don't like that language because it is impossible to become culturally competent in all the cultures, right? Just because they're way too many and we have to really be intimate with those cultures. And so if it's not something that's our own culture, it's hard to really do that. But I think that as we're talking about building community and thinking about who can we learn from? Who thinks differently from me? Who can bring different experiences and perspective? We often gravitate to people who are like us, right? And while on the surface, there's nothing wrong with that, but it does uh, minimize significantly the opportunity for that growth to happen around our cultural intelligence and humility. We don't know what we don't know. So how can we be a bit more intentional about thinking who is not in my circle and my network that I can tap and that I can lean on and that I can have conversations with and that I can support and they can support me that looks different from me? How can I be intentional about building that type of circle? And so I think that's also a part of that sense of community. The other thing is we have to make sure that we are considering what do we have to give as well as what, what are we seeking? I think that 
that reciprocal, you know, relationship is really important. You know, we have to lift as we climb. Sometimes we consider who can I connect with and network with because of they could meet my needs. I think we have to be just as cognizant about what can I offer to this community? Because that's what helps build up that trust and build up people's wherewithal to want to support and to lean in. Right. So th- those are two things that come to mind when I think deeper about community as being part of our um, success story. So not just what can I get from this person, but what value can I bring? Yes, yes. Some of the best lessons that I've learned have come from mentees. And I say that because a lot of my mentees will, you know, just have this overwhelming gratitude for my time, my energy, and what I bring to the conversations and to the meetings and the convenings and the support. But what I often tell them is you may think that I inspire you, but you inspire me. I'm learning from you at the same time. And so I think that we need to realize that our growth and our learning, those opportunities can come from all different directions, all different type of people. Right. And sometimes even that gratitude and appreciation they're showing alone helps give you energy. Oh, yes. You, when you really want to have a fulfilled mentor, give them a mentee that is ready to learn, ready to act, ready to be a student. There's nothing more fulfilling than that. They also want to know I'm making a difference, right? Those mentors. Right. Yeah. Right. Because if you feel like you're making a difference in their life, then it, that that's that's one of the reasons you became a mentor to begin with. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's one of the most selfless things we can do to offer value to someone else is, is to be a mentor, to be a coach, to, to be an advisor, to be um, an advocate, to be a sponsor. All of those things certainly carry the notion of advocating for and supporting in a way that's very intentional. Yeah, I was going to say that kind of goes back to intentionality. Yeah, <laughs> because it's not just, oh, well, this guy happened to ask me a question and I gave him a piece of advice or I gave my opinion. There's a difference between mentorship and just handing out opinions. Absolutely. And, and you know, mentor mentee relationships, they all look different as they should. You know, I think it's up to those two individuals to really be intentional about defining what does a successful mentor mentee relationship look like for for us so that then we can, you know, make sure that everyone's expectations are being met. But sometimes they're very informal. Sometimes they're very formal to where, you know, there's like a schedule perhaps. And it's like, okay, we're going to connect every two or three weeks, you know, at this time. And whatever works is fine. Um, But yeah, I do believe that um, there's such great value. And again, just those types of, of relationships. Thank you. I appreciate your words of wisdom there, Nika. So let's pivot one more time. I want to let's let's promo. You talked about your book. I want to talk about your consulting practice, your speaking, where people can find you. Let's let's jump into that first, starting with your book, Inclusion Uncomplicated. I love talking about uh, demystifying or uncomplicating something. As humans, we love to make things complicated. We love to take something simple and make it complicated. And in this book, you're doing the reverse. Yes. So as a practitioner in this space, Jonathan, it clearly became apparent to me that part of the reason that many leaders and organizations aren't able to move the needle and to endure this process of deepening their commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion of belonging through their systems, their leadership, their culture, is because of the unknowns and the perceived complexity of the work. And if the work feels so daunting to someone, they're going to be really hesitant to take that first step. 
And so I realized that maybe part of my offering to this large body of work is to help demystify it, to help uncomplicate it, to allow people to not sit on the fence, but to get into this work, engage in this work in a way that allows them to choose courage over comfort, right? Knowing that we may make mistakes, but that's okay. That's part of the journey and the process. And so Inclusion Uncomplicated, a transformative guide to simplify DEI, is just that. I want to help um, provide deeper understanding of these constructs of diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging, what they mean to help people to unlearn misinformation and to make the work practical for people. And so this is in partnership with Forbes Books. I'm really excited for this to be um, now in circulation. So it's available um, anywhere where people like to purchase their books or, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. And it's, it's my gift. It's my gift to those who really want to go deeper into this work and to be much more effective at, you know, sustaining the work. And um, I'm hoping that it's going to be a tool to many people who are looking to equip themselves and other colleagues or, or people in their network and their circles who are also interested in going deeper into this work. Yeah, you did a great promo because there was even one statement you said that was a wow statement, choosing courage over comfort, because, huh, that that is that's the we could unpack, probably spend an hour just talking about that. But, it's a but whole jumping into the book. Dedicated to it in the book. And yes, you're right. Yeah. That is big. Bravery is so important for this work because we fear we're going to make a mistake. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I offend someone? And the bottom line is that while we're on this learning journey, we can expect for that to happen. And that's okay. Where we have to make sure that we're not complacent, though, is just being okay with making those mistakes and not learning from them, not growing from them, right? And so, you know, I think that the more we can arm ourselves with the knowledge, and data, then the better off we are at minimizing those mistakes and the harm that can occur just by not knowing what we don't know, right? Because just because we don't know, it doesn't exonerate us from the consequences of our actions, right? So we have to even know what if, you know, I have unintentionally, which is why it's called unconscious bias, created harm for someone. Well, that harm is still there, whether or not you meant for it to create the harm. So what do we do to combat that? What do we do to remedy the situation? And so we have to be courageous and we have to be brave about it. Um, and as I mentioned before, I really do see this book as, as a tool. I want people to have it on their desk and to refer back to it often. I want people to, you know, dog ear the pages, to write in the margins, to, to really use it as, as this tool. And so I am, I'm super excited to have this available. It's not only available in hard copy, it's also available in Kindle, as well as an audiobook format for those that like to get their content in different ways. Yeah. And you know, this is book number three for me, but I feel like in many ways it's book number one. <laughs> right, right. This book number one and two, I've also grown a lot into this discipline, into this practice. This was a labor of love. And I think that the reason some people have that fear is just the fact that people think that failure and success are opposites ends of the spectrum instead of realizing sometimes we fail on the way to success it's it's part of the journey to success it's called failing forward or falling forward yes um and it's, we have to reframe right because we can look at a mistake as a failure but we also can look at a mistake as an opportunity for growth and learning to occur so that we right. get it right this time Right. Or that we refine it and improve it the next time. You know, we all should have this mindset of, I am always on this journey, this journey of bettering myself, bettering my community, bettering my family, those who are in my in my circle, right? Yeah. So I, I love a good reframe. 
Well, you do consulting as well. Uh, that's one of the Nika White Consult, Dr. Nika White Consulting. What kind of companies do you work with? Oh, so thanks for this question, Jonathan. So before I answer that, I'll give a little bit of background. We are a full service diversity, equity, and inclusion boutique consultancy. Um, we work with all types of clients, different industries, different sectors, different sizes, helping them to integrate into their business frameworks, strategic diversity, intentional inclusion, and a lens of equity. And it's really about intersecting DEI with leadership in business, you know, and our clients are all over, you know, we are a hundred percent remote work organization, not because of the pandemic, but because that's been our business model since inception. Um, we're headquartered in Greenville, South Carolina, but again, my colleagues are all over. So that business model serves us well. And um, we are all about helping clients to go to the next level of their DEI journey. Next level. That's everything. Next level. Yeah. Next level. That was actually book number two, next level inclusionist. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. And people can find you uh, also, they can hear you intentional conversations vodcast, correct? Yes. Yes. So every Friday for the past, I don't know, three or so years, we have been offering uh, my firm, Nico White Consulting, we've been offering intentional conversations vodcast is where we intersect conversations of diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. We always bring on someone who is um, a practitioner in this space to bring different perspective and to learn with and from them. And for those who like a vodcast type of, um, of, of format, it's, it's always appreciated by those who are able to engage live and to even unmute themselves and share their questions directly or contribute to the conversations. But then we also take that audio and we make it available in a podcast capacity for those who like to get their content that way. All of the vodcasts, um, the replays are on our YouTube channel. So people have the option of also going back and getting that content. But um, it's, it's our way to provide uh, a free courtesy service for people to be able to deepen their, their knowledge and their understanding. So people can find you in a lot of different places. There's NikaWhite.com. There's your Instagram channel. There's your LinkedIn profile. There's YouTube. There's podcasts. What do you, what, what's your preferred method or what do you think is the best way to find out more about you, Nika? Uh, so um, it depends on, on, you know, kind of the entry point that people are interested in connecting. You know, I do also have NikaWhiteSpeaks.com, which is a great way for people to connect with me. And also, if you just go to NikaWhiteSpeaks.com or NikaWhite.com, which is my consultancy um, website, they all have direct contact information for my social media platforms and ways for people to reach out directly. Well, let's wrap things up. I've got some rapid fire questions for you. Hey, Nico, what do you do for fun? Oh, I like to travel. I love to travel. Favorite travel location? I would have to say Italy. And I experienced Italy for the first time um, last year for my 25th wedding anniversary. And it was amazing. So Italy is definitely the top of my list. Okay. Bucket list travel location? Malvives and Greece. Those are two. Malvives and Greece. Yeah, because it's absolutely beautiful. Just, uh, yeah, beautiful. But you haven't <laughs> been there yet. Haven't been there yet. Yeah, they're on the bucket okay. list. How about your favorite book? My favorite book. You know, I'm reading so many books right now. I because the the publishing process is just fresh and new for me. My pub date was January 31st. I, I have to say my book right now. And, and I don't know if that's allowed, but I'm gonna say it. Yes, my it's book. All, it's all it is allowed. Okay. It is allowed. Okay, <laughs> that's my favorite book right now. I put my heart and soul into that. So yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, it should be your favorite book, I guess, if you wrote it in public. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, listeners, let's get out there and make our world, our country, and our community a better place. When you succeed, we all succeed. And as always, this is a friendly reminder that the left lane is for passing. So speed up or move over.